The Velveteen Rabbit, or How Toys Become Real. There was once a Velveteen Rabbit, and in the beginning he was really splendid. He was fat and bunchy as a rabbit should be. His coat was spotted brown and white. He had real thread whiskers, and his ears were lined with pink sateen. On Christmas morning, when he sat wedged in the top of the boy's stocking with a spring of holly between his paws, the effect was charming. There were other things in the stocking, nuts and oranges and a toy engine and chocolate almonds and a clockwork mouse, but the rabbit was quite the best of all. For at least two hours, the boy loved him, and then aunts and uncles came to dinner and there was a great rustling of tissue paper and unwrapping of parcels And in the excitement of looking at all the new presents, the Velveteen Rabbit was forgotten. For a long time, he lived in the toy cupboard or on the nursery floor, and no one thought very much about him. He was naturally shy, and being only made of velveteen, some of the more expensive toys quite snubbed him. The mechanical toys were very superior and looked down upon everyone else. They were full of modern ideas and pretended they were real. The model boat, who had lived through two seasons and lost most of its paint, caught the tone from them and never missed an opportunity of referring to his rigging in technical terms. The rabbit could not claim to be a model of anything, for he didn't know that real rabbits existed. He thought they were all stuffed with sawdust like himself, and he understood that sawdust was quite out of date and should never be mentioned in modern circles. Even Timothy, the jointed wooden lion who was made by the disabled soldiers and should have had broader views, put on airs and pretended he was connected with government. Between them all, the poor little rabbit was made to feel himself very insignificant and commonplace. The only person who was kind to him at all was the skin horse. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed seams underneath. And most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys It would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like the skin horse understand all about it. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? Well, it doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse, 
You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. I suppose you are real, said the rabbit, and then he had wished he had not said it, for he thought the skin horse might be sensitive. But the skin horse only smiled. The boy's uncle made me real, he said. That was a great many years ago. But once you are real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. So as you can tell by now, this is from the opening of the first few pages of The Velveteen Rabbit by Marguerite Williams. The book was a gift given to me by one of the members of the church that first called me in 2005. It has sat on my bookshelf since. As I began to prepare this morning's comments, I thought I would use something from Annie Dillard, a favorite author of mine and many others. I was sure that she would have something that integrated the message of this morning's readings into the vernacular of the day. Instead, I stumbled across the Velveteen Rabbit, and for some reason, I began to read. As I did, I found myself thinking about how we have always been loved by God, loved into existence by God. And then things change once we emerge onto this planet, at least for many of us. We move into the world from our previous dimensions and immediately are influenced from the moment of conception and the number of ways that is now possible for it to take place. It's as though once the chromosomes combine that begin the processes of life, a receiver with a capital R is born, sensing, touching, feeling, consciousness forming into concepts, constructs, and slowly the world becomes real. From the arms of those who love us to the rooms in which we live, the neighborhoods we grow up in, the city, the state, the nation, the world, the universe, all slowly become part of our perception. We come to know what in German sociological terms is referred to as Sitzenleben, that is, our place and function in the community in which we live. But along the way, our place in the world veers often from the love which first made us real long before we were ever born. Signals and perceptions can overwhelm us. The ways of the world can become dominant, driving, even obsessive, to the exclusion of all else. But that creative love of God, it never disappears. It sometimes lies dormant, we think, or quiet for a long time. What many of us realize is that in the times of the most difficulty in our lives, it is that love with a capital L 
which sustains us through the broken springs and jagged edges of a sometimes too mechanical life. It is the love of God that makes the difference in who we are in this world and how we respond to the world and one another, not in achievement or accomplishments, but in what makes us real, authentic to one another and ourselves, knowing where we came from, where we are now, and to where it is we are returning at the end of this journey. Now, whether in the Shema, the most important of all Jewish prayers, a prayer that Jesus surely prayed often, whether in the guidelines of Leviticus that protected and instructed an emerging nation and hundreds of generations of Jews, including Jesus, or the words of Jesus himself in reminding us of the greatest of commandments, we are real because God has made us real through God's love with only the simplest of commandments perhaps demands for living here. As Silkhorse said in The Velveteen Rabbit, you can't be ugly. Well, let's change that a bit to unwelcome or unloved. You can't be unwelcome or unloved except by people who don't understand. And for those people, we pray. When we are real, we understand who we are, where we are, and what it is we need to do. We understand too that it takes time and experience to learn all this in the deepest of ways. But in the end, when we are real, the message is as it always has been. Jesus was asked, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Real indeed. May we all be this real. Amen.